my name is Ineke. It's good to be with you again. And I was just blown away by worship and how God just reveals himself in who he is. And despite all the stuff that is happening around us, that God is still on the throne. He's still almighty, awesome, righteous, and all the other words that the Bible says that he is. If you've missed me for a couple of weeks, and I hope I was missed. Uh, <laughs> Been in Holland, had a lovely break with family. My mother was turning 70, and I think as with every mom, they love to have all the children and grandchildren around them. And so we went away with the whole family for a weekend. We had a house that had a lot of bedrooms. And as the single aunt, I always end up with one of my nieces, which is very nice, except that they wake up quite early. <laughs> and my brother and his wife thought it was a nice opportunity to... Um, get their three-year-old son into Aunt Ineke's bedroom early in the morning, and Aunt Ineke would look after him, which I did. So I didn't get a lot of sleep during the weekend, but it was just lovely to be with my brothers, their families, my nieces and nephews. And as I said to some, I'm still the favorite aunt. It's always good to check in on that every now and then. But yeah, I had a lovely break, and I think it was also good for me to have a bit of a break from all the stuff that had been happening before I left. And Brad already spoke about it last week. South Africa is not in a very good state at the moment. I think it's fair enough to say that. And even before I left, um, some of you may know it, um, the economy in South Africa is not going that well. Many companies are being affected, including the company that I work for. I do work for the finance department, so I know exactly the state of the finances of the company. And currently, my job is being restructured, and so that also affects me. And so it was nice to have a break from all of that. Summer in Holland, it's very green, lush. Got spoiled by my parents. So it was nice to be away and have a bit of a break from the requirements and challenges of day-to-day -day life. When I came back, it didn't take me long to get back into reality. Um, you've heard it say, one quick look at the news. The murder of the UCT students, other murders that have taken place, Violence in the country, leaving a trail of destruction and just breaking down the infrastructure. Armed robberies, hijackings, and even attacks at St. James Walkway, which is just around the corner. And all of that, it seems to me like it's getting closer and closer and more and more violent. And even if, if you look at a wider scale, um, well, if I mention the word Trump, you probably have certain ideas with that. But even a country like America that now has a leader that is so unpredictable and doesn't seem to care what the effect of his political rule on relationships within America and internationally is, makes a country like America that always was sort of a stable country an unpredictable force in the world. The United Kingdom, once called Great Britain, well, if you've looked at some of the news on television and you see what is happening in Parliament, Great Britain in that area is not so great anymore. Shutdown of Parliament, a Brexit that still hasn't been solved and where they still can't come to a deal on whether they're going to leave and how they're going to leave. Hurricanes and cyclones, climate issues. If you've been in Europe recently, you know that climate is high on the agenda. Plastic pollution, look at some of the photos and you'll see that the very thing that once was the invention of the age, plastic, has now become the curse of the age and is ruining our planet, entering itself into our food chain, and the question is only gonna, uh, what is going to be the effect on us. Ongoing threat of nuclear war, 
countries, countries like Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan, where there's war going on, often religious wars, killing many people, leaving them destitute, and ripping apart many families. And that is only part of the issues that are happening on a wider scale. And to me, it seems like the world that I once knew it to be, the world that I grew up in, is becoming less and less stable. And the very foundations that we build our lives on, the very foundations of society that we once thought were secure and safe, all of a sudden are not so safe and secure anymore. And I was reading an article the other day, and the writer was talking about South Africa and says, we're living in a dysfunctional, broken society that is on the brink of collapse. I wouldn't say it's that bad, but I think he does have a point. But the breakdown of the foundations of society are not the only ones that affect us. And I already said to you, one of my foundations is being shaken at the moment, where I thought I had a job that was secure and I had a certain income. All of a sudden, that is not so secure anymore. And I only have to see how that is going to work out. I was reading a book in Holland about a woman who had a solid marriage, who had a solid foundation in life. And all of a sudden, at the age of 46, her husband, who was a pastor in Washington, passed away, leaving her alone with a nine-year-old son to raise. No job. She had to leave the house that the church had provided for them. And all of a sudden, one of the foundations of her life had been destroyed, leaving her wondering what is going to be next. And maybe it has affected you personally. I don't know. I think it's only a matter of time when it comes closer and closer to us. Maybe you have been part of retrenchments as well. Maybe you still haven't been able to find a job in the midst of the economy that we live in. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe a chronic illness has hit you. Maybe you've witnessed a robbery, a hijacking, or maybe you've even been part of it. Corrupt government, violence, sickness, death, loss of a job, betrayal of friends. The likelihood is that once in your life, you will also be hit by those events that will shake you to the core of your being, that will shake the very foundations of your life. And as Christians, we're not sheltered from these. We live in the world. The Bible says we're not of the world, but we are in the world. And we live in a broken world where bad things still happen to good people. And the question for this morning is, because the Bible does have to say something about that, as it has got something to say about everything, the question I want to look at this morning is that if the foundations of life are being destroyed, if the very foundations of life are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Or as the message says it, if the bottom collapses in a country, what do we do? What do the righteous do? It's a question that is posed in Psalm 11 verse 3, and that is what we're going to look at. If the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's a psalm of confidence, and that is one of the things that I sense God had for us this morning, that he says, I want you to have confidence that I am still the same. Still God, haven't moved, still on my throne, still righteous, I'm still in heaven. And Psalm 11 is basically, if you read it, it's in the form of a conversation. It's a psalm written by David. And although we don't know the exact setting, we see that it's a conversation between David and some of his friends or counselors or whatever they were. It's likely that it happened in the time that he was running away from Saul. And it's clear that he has people around them, and there seems to have been a conversation to find out what David should do. The psalm tells us there was violence, there were wicked people, 
And Psalm 11 verse 3 said, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's a question that is posed by David's friends and counselors. So David is sitting with his friends. I don't know where they sit. They're having a conversation, talking about the wickedness and the violence. And then this question comes up, well, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I'll read you the psalm. And it says, in the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. And this is David speaking. How can you say to my soul that I should flee to the mountain like a bird? Because the wicked have bent their bows. They've put the arrows on the bows and they're ready to shoot me when it's dark. This is like a paraphrase, by the way. And then it says, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then David goes on to say and says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. God sees it all. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Let fire and sulfur and a scorching wind be the portion of their cup. And then he says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. And so David is in this conversation with his friends, and basically in the psalm you see two voices. You see the voice of his friends that says, look, you have to flee. Put it in today's time. There's a gun pointed at your head. Run. And it says you have to flee like a bird to the mountain. Well, a bird is not meant to be on a mountain. A bird is meant to fly freely. But they said, David, you've got to flee. You've got to run because the wicked are after you and they're going to get to you when you least expect it. It says in the dark. It's when you can't see. When you think you're lying in your bed safely. And these friends say to David, when you least expect it, when you think you're going to be safe, they're going to come and they're going to shoot you. And I call that the voice of fear. And then you see that other voice, and that is the voice of David. And it says, in the Lord I take refuge. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He sees it all. He tests the righteous, for he is righteous. And so we're going to look at these two voices, the voice of fear and the voice of faith. And we're going to look at that in the context of if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we'll see that these two voices are very important to take notice of. But the first thing I want to say that if the foundations are being destroyed, the first thing is that we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised about the things that are happening. And when you read the psalm carefully, you see that there's a bit of panic in it. Like, David, you've got to run because your life is in danger. But David responds differently. His words are words of confidence and trust. In the Lord I take refuge. And you see that the entire, the, the rest of the psalm is based on that foundation. In the Lord I take refuge. And I think as Christians we should not be surprised of all the stuff that is happening. And as Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under the sun. And sometimes we may look at things and think, well, that has never happened before in history. But when you look at natural disasters, think about the flood in the times of Noah. There were earthquakes in the Bible. And there have been natural disasters all through history. It's nothing new. It may have increased in intensity. We probably hear more about it because of the news and social media. But there's nothing new about it. Ungodly, corrupt, and greedy leaders. Well, you read the Old Testament, and you might think that South Africa government is not that bad after all. <laughs> Threat of war is nothing new. The Old Testament is full of that. 
And even things like sickness, the love of a loved one, financial difficulty, and other challenges in life. It's nothing new under the sun. And Jesus even foretells us in the New Testament that we should be ready for that. He's talking about the end times, what is going to happen in the future. And he says, you will hear about wars. You'll hear about rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many different places, terrors and great signs from heaven. And then he says, wickedness will increase. Wickedness will increase. And I think part of the violence and the crimes that we see around us is an increase of the wickedness. And then he says, and the love of many will grow cold, meaning that many followers of Jesus will fall away because of what is happening. Read Revelation and you'll see that the end is not there yet. And we live in this now in the not yet kingdom, where the kingdom of God has come, but it's not fully there yet. And so in that times, Jesus says, you need to be prepared. Don't be surprised when these things happen, because it's a sign of the time that you live in. 1 John 5:19 says, the world lies in the power of the evil one. And so as Christians, we should not be surprised about these things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be hurt or devastated when stuff like that happens. If you read about the life of David, and you, there's one instance where him and his men come back, and they come back to the camp, and they find that all the wives and children have been gone. And it says David was devastated, and they wept until they could weep no more. So I'm not saying it shouldn't affect us, that we shouldn't be hurt or devastated. I'm not saying we shouldn't mourn with those who mourn, that we shouldn't care, that we shouldn't be angry or upset about what happens. I'm also not saying we shouldn't do something about it, but I'm saying we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen, because the Bible says it. And so if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The first one is, don't let it take you by surprise. Don't stand there thinking, well, I never saw that one coming. Or this is something new, or this is something that the world has never seen before. Don't be surprised when these things happen. And so the second thing I want to point out is that if the foundations are being destroyed, make sure you listen to the right voice. And I already said there's the voice of fear and the voice of faith. And when you read about David's friends and counselors, the people that were around him, they tell him he should flee. They said, David, look at what is happening around you. Flee, run, leave the country, as they would say in today's um, day. They tell him that wicked men are ready to get to him. Look, there's a gun pointed at your head. And as I said, they tell him it's going to happen when you least expect it. When you think you're safe, they will get you and your life will be gone. And so you see that these friends and counselors are trying to put fear into David so that he will run and flee the scene, probably because they care about him. And the voice of fear is all around us. I normally Skype with my mom once a week, normally on a Sunday afternoon. It's anywhere between 5 and 7 o'clock. I now have a watch that I can see when my mom phones, because if I'm not in, she will always say, Oh, Nico, where were you? Are you away? So now I've got a watch that tells me when it's my mom um, Skyping. But the thing was, I'd been back in South Africa for a week, and we Skype on a Sunday afternoon, and my mom says, well, Ineka, how has your first week been? How are you doing? And I thought, what am I going to tell my mom? Because I'm the only daughter. I know she's worried. She knows I'm, well, she knows I'm not married. As a mom, she should know. <laughs> but there's also not someone that I live with that would notice if I would not be there. 
And so I was telling a bit about that. I said, well, mom, it's not going so well at work. My job is being restructured. I don't know what that is going to look like. Um, and I said, this is what's been happening in the country. A student got killed at a post office in Claremont. And I was telling a bit about the other stuff. And she says, Ineke, just pack your bags and come home. Pack your bags and come home. And I hear her. She's concerned about me. She's worried about me. And she'd love for me to be safe. And I think if you're a mom or a parent, you will know that a, a child never leaves you. So the voice of fear is all around us, and it will often come from the people that should point us to God, but yet because they're worried about us. They will say, as David's friends, flee. Social media is loud. Brad already highlighted that last week. And the thing about social media is that it's given everyone a voice, and you can say whatever you want, and you can have a wide reach where previously it would just be the people that you would meet with on a day-to-day -day basis. Social media, because you've got a friend who's got a friend who's got a friend who's got a friend, all of a sudden has given you this wide spectrum where you can make your voice known. Everyone has a voice, but not everyone's voice comes from God. And so the voice of fear is very strong on social media, and Brad already highlighted some practical things we can do in that, that area. Companies and advertisers making use of that. I was watching television last night. There was an ad by Clientel, and what Clientel does, it basically promises that it will be that foundation for you that you can rely on. That whatever's going to happen, Clientel will sort it out for you. <laughs> In the end, it is a company that wants to make a profit, so it's false lies, but anyway. But the danger is that the more and more you listen to that voice, the more and more you're going to think, well, there must be something true in that. The more you surround yourself with that voice of fear, the more it's going to get to you and you think, yeah, actually, it's not small. Maybe I should do something. And I'm prone to listen to that voice. It's the voice that whispers in my ear, Ineke, you might be next. Next time you walk on St. James Walkway, you might be next. It can happen to you. Ineke, you'd better stay inside because after five o'clock, you shouldn't go out anymore. Ineke, if you've got a chance, you know you've got that Dutch passport. It's your way out of the country. Flee, run, get out of the situation. It's the voice that tells me that people will never change. Even if we have a new president, things are never going to change. It's the voice that points out and says, if you drive down Baden-Powell, Ineke, have you seen all those shacks that are coming closer and closer to the road? More and more people are going to flood to Cape Town. There's more and more poverty. And do you know that that's going to be more and more crime? The voice of fear is very quick to point that out to me. It's the voice that says, look at ESCOM, look at South African Airlines, look at the government-run companies. You had a shortage of water, shortage of electricity. There's no hope for the future. It's the voice that says, look at what's happening to your job. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. I think David was very familiar with the voice of fear. And when I think about the voice of fear, I always think about David and Goliath. And I don't know if you know the story, but David had been anointed by God to be king. Didn't happen immediately, and somehow he ends up at the court of Saul, plays the liar for Saul. But we read in the Bible that David goes from Saul's palace back to his father to look after the sheep, and he goes back and forth. His brothers are in Saul's army. And then one day, David's father says to him, look, I want you to go to see your brothers and see how they do. So David gets to where the army of Saul is. 
And we read in the Bible that the army of Israel is on one side, there's a valley in between, and the army of the Philistines is on the other side. And what would happen every day is that Goliath, who was part of the Philistines, would come forward. And we read Goliath was a champion. He was very tall. He had an armor that you will think, well, nothing's ever going to happen to Goliath. He looks impenetrable with his armor. Very imposing figure, tall, towering over the people. And every day Goliath will step forward and say, well, give me a man, people of Israel, that will fight me. And whoever wins that one-on-one -on -one fight, that will settle the battle. And the men of Israel, when they hear these voice, were dismayed, greatly afraid, and they fled for, from him. But you see what Goliath does, and the Bible is very clear about that. Goliath only stands and shouts. Goliath does nothing more than stand and shout, tempting, putting fear into people. And the response of the people of Israel is that they flee and they're afraid, and it basically paralyzes them. David comes on the scene, is not impacted by the voice of Goliath. He looks at him, sees Goliath for what he is. David keeps his eyes on God and sees Goliath for what he is. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I love that line. <laughs> David is not listening to the voice of fear that paralyzes. He listens to the voice of God that tells him what to do and how to defeat the enemy. You see, the voice of fear makes you afraid, makes you want to flee. It paralyzes you and it makes you powerless. And as Christians, we need to recognize the voice of fear. And we need to be aware of the impact of the voice of fear. Now, I'm not saying that the voice of fear, it, it, it's different than the voice of God warning us for ongoing danger. So I'm not saying that you should just run into any situation thinking, oh, the Lord is on my side and it will be fine. There is the voice of God that will warn us and say, you've got to be wise in these situations. But the voice of God is different than the voice of, of fear. The voice of fear tells you to flee, but if there's anything you should flee from, it's the voice of fear itself. The voice of fear will tell you that there's no hope, and in that very instant, it reveals itself for what it is, because as believers, we know that we do have hope, and our hope is in Jesus. So the voice of fear, people, it's a deceiving and it's a lying voice, and you need to be aware when it's around, and you need to learn to recognize that. Second voice is the voice of faith. And the first thing that should grab us attention is that the voice of faith gets to open the psalm. In God, I take refuge. And so whatever this voice of fear is doing, it is encompassed in between the voice of faith that says, in God, I take refuge. And it's end with saying, for God is righteous. And I love that because it says that God is the beginning and the end. And this psalm is a beautiful picture of, 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 of how that works. God is the beginning of the psalm, and God is the end of the psalm. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He is before creation, and he will be in all eternity. And in our worship, I think we've testified of that. So the answer for us as believers to the question, if the foundations are being destroyed, what should the righteous do? It's that your answer lies in God and God alone. In God I take refuge, for he is righteous. And in that sense, in this psalm, the answer is even given before the question is asked. The question of what should the righteous do is verse 3. Verse 1 says, in the Lord I take refuge. I love that about this psalm. 
Now, what, is the vo- vo- what does the voice of faith say? It will always point to God. Where the voice of fear will take you away from God, and God is hardly ever mentioned, the voice of faith will always point you to God. It says God is your starting point. God is your all in all. He's the unchangeable, the almighty, the righteous one, your protector, your provider. He is the one who holds your life in his hand. And there's three things in this psalm that the voice of faith points to. And it says in verse 4, and it points to God as the sovereign ruler. Verse 4 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. His throne is in heaven. And it says, God hasn't moved. Your foundations may have been shaken. Stuff may come your way. Your life may be shaken to the core, but God has not moved. He's still in his holy temple. His throne is in heaven. And it points to the immovability of God. How God, God hasn't left the scene. God hasn't left the building. God hasn't left the country. People may leave in masses. God has not left South Africa. And I also love how the Bible explains that God is still in his holy temple, but the New Testament says you are God's temple. The Spirit of God himself is living inside of you. God's temple is inside of you, which means that wherever you go, God goes with you. God hasn't left. And when it says your refuge is in God, it means that God is with you. Your refuge lies in God. It also points to the transcendence of God. It says God's throne is in heaven, meaning that God sits above the earth. He is beyond and above the normal and physical human experiences. Whatever is happening on earth, God is above that. Whatever is happening on earth is not the final say. God is above that. God is in heaven. But it doesn't mean that God is someone who is far off and is like, well, you sort out your mess and um, I'll see you at the end time. When I come back, we'll have a chat. God is not a God who's leaving the earth to run its own course. Verse 4 tells us that he's a sovereign ruler and he sees everything that is happening. And as Kara already said, the very hairs on your head have been numbered. And I loved how she said, well, that's different every day. (laughs) God is intimately involved in all that is happening. He sees it. He sees the hearts of people, the motives, the circumstances. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So the first thing we see that this voice of faith does is it says it points to God as the sovereign ruler. His throne is in heaven. He is still ruling. He hasn't moved. God is still where he said he would be. And the second thing is that it points to God as our hiding place. David says, in the Lord I take refuge. God is our hiding place. Refuge points to a state of being safe and sheltered from pursuit and danger and difficulty. And we've already seen that the voice of fear says, look, you've got to find shelter in the mountains. You've got to flee the scene. It's not safe. But David says, my hiding place is in the Lord, nowhere else. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until the storms of destructions have passed. Psalm 57 verse 1. I love what one commentary said. It says, when life becomes bizarre, only one's relationship with God will calm the soul. (laughs) When life becomes bizarre, when life becomes not what you expect it to be, when it becomes difficulty and challenging, it's your relationship with God that will give you the hiding place that we need. My fellow countrywoman, she's dead now, called Corrie ten Boom. You probably have heard about her. She's got a book called The Hiding Place. 
And she and her family lived in a town in Holland called Haarlem. Her father was a clockmaker. And when the Second World War happened, Corrie and her family were hiding Jews in, in their house. And I don't know if you've ever been to Haarlem, but it's got these old, beautiful houses with a lot of corners and hidden rooms and all of that. And what they did, they had a house where you couldn't see that there was a double wall. And so what happened is that they would hide the Jews in between that, sh that, that, that small space, which was the hiding place. They were betrayed. Corrie and her family were taken to prison. Her father died in prison. Her sister died in Ravensbrück, one of the concentration camps. And Corrie has seen many of the cruelties that happened. And I think compared to that, what is happening around us is minute. But Corrie's foundation was not destroyed because in all of that, Corrie found that that very hiding place where they would hide the Jews, she had a similar hiding place in God. Psalm 119, 114, you, God, are my hiding place. You are my shield and I hope in your words. And the Psalms are full of those references and Tom also said a couple of them earlier this service that point to God as our rock, as our fortress, as our stronghold, our shield or hiding place, or shelter. And it all points to God as the one that is immovable. The God that you can flee to when stuff becomes challenging and God says, come under my wings, I will protect you. And so your refuge is not found in how much money you have in the bank. It's not found in how high the walls around your house are. What security company is looking after your apartment block. It's not found in your job, it's not found in insurance policies, it's not found in clientele, it's not found in your pension fund. Yes, there's wisdom in having all of that in place, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but our ultimate refuge is in God and God alone. In God I take refuge is what David says. The Bible says God will keep in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in God. And I love that because it says shalom, shalom in Hebrew. But you can't have more shalom than one shalom. Because shalom is all-encompassing. It's a peace that the world doesn't know. And yet the Bible says, you will find shalom, shalom to him who puts his trust in God. Philippians 3, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. You see, the hiding place in God, that refuge, will guard your heart and minds. It will help you to not panic as those friends of David did, but it will help you to find your refuge in God and to say, okay, God, you're still on your throne. You're still in heaven. You're still in your temple. How should I respond? Does it mean that no evil will ever befall on you? No, but it does mean that you've got a place to go to where you can find safety and peace as the world cannot offer it. So the first thing that the voice of faith does it, it points as God as the sovereign one. God is your hiding place, but also God as the righteous one. The psalm ends with saying, for God is righteous. He loves righteous deeds and the upright shall behold his face. The verses say that God hates violence. He hates those that do wicked. So God is not a God who is not involved and who doesn't care. The Bible is very clear that God hates what is happening. And if you look at Leviticus and some of the laws, it sees that God has even a bigger care for those that are vulnerable, the women, the children, the widows, the foreigners. 
those that struggle to find a living in society, those that have a disadvantage. God says, I want you to pay additional attention to that and take care of them. God hates the wicked and those who do violence. It shows how God values human life. And I think if we get upset about what is happening, imagine how God feels about it. Howard did a teaching on the wrath of God a while ago, and it shows how God feels about sin and violence and wickedness, and that there's going to come a time where that will be judged. So all that is happening around us is not something where God says, well, let's just... God cares about that, and there will be a time when that will be judged. God is the one who will execute righteous judgment on the wicked and those that love violence. And as Christians, we need to actively seek that voice of faith. David had learned to do this. If you read the Psalms, you read a lot of his struggles and anguish and all of that. But David had learned to listen to that voice of faith. And time again in the Psalms, you see that even if he brings all his issues to God, he finds his refuge in God. And the Psalm just turns around and it becomes a Psalm of faith. The voice of fear will point to the negative and tells you that there is no hope. But the voice of faith will always point to Jesus, the hope of the world. The voice of fear tells you to take matters into your own hands. The voice of faith tells you that God is more than able to deal with wickedness and violence. The voice of fear tells you that you're on your own. But the voice of faith will remind you that God is with you. The voice of fear aims to make you powerless. The voice of faith reminds you that when you are weak, he is strong. The voice of faith tries to paralyze you and make you run. But the voice of faith will energize you and will make you part of the solution. David had cultivated a life where he conversed with God on a regular basis. And I think there's a call for us to do the same. The last thing I want to point out very shortly is that if the foundations are being destroyed, we've already said don't let it take you by surprise. Listen to the right voice. But the third thing is that make sure you build on the right foundation. And so the thing that you see in the psalm is that the question does not come from David. It's not David who's struggling with the question, what am I supposed to do? It comes from his counselors. And there's a panic in it. And David seems to be saying, well, you shouldn't have relied on these foundations in the first place. <laughs> because David knew where his foundation was. So there's many foundations you can have in life. There's a foundation of marriage. You build your career on a foundation. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when we think that these foundations are indestructible. When we place our trust in, in careers, jobs, houses, or whatever, and the money we have in the bank. They're all important, but they're not your ultimate foundation. Cora already said we are part of a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Our foundation should be in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, making sure that we're part of, this part of the kingdom that will never be destroyed. Jesus is very clear on how we build that foundation. He says, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you cannot enter it until you're born again. You cannot see it unless you have been born by the Spirit. And I think for us as believers who know that we're followers of Christ, we are part of that kingdom that cannot be destroyed. And so no matter what may happen on earth, we know that we've got an eternal home in heaven. The best is yet to come. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Make sure it doesn't take you by surprise. Make sure you listen to the right voice. 
and make sure your life is built on the foundation that can never be destroyed. But there's more to it, and this is what I sense God has for us this morning. Because as I said, David opens the psalm by saying, In the Lord I take refuge. So for David, there's no question about where he finds his security. The question in this psalm, like what do we do when everything goes pear-shaped, comes from his counselors and his friends. It's not David. The panic in this psalm is from David's counselors. It's a look around you, what is happening, flee. What else can we do? What should we do? But David knows the answer to the question. He knows that his refuge is in God. And so, as I said, the answer in this psalm is already given before the question is even asked. And so this psalm is not about David finding his security in the Lord and getting an answer to the question. This is about his friends and his counselors who are panicking and need to come to that same truth that David has. The friends and counselors of David, they are the ones that need to be corrected. They are the ones that need to be reminded of God and who he is and where he is and his almightiness and everything else that God is. It's not David that needs to come to the answer. It is his friends. And so in this psalm, I think we're not only urged to make sure that we keep our eyes on God in the midst of all that is happening. We are called to be that voice of faith. We are called to be that voice of hope. I was at home this week, and there was a knock on my door. And a girl came to my door. I've known her when they still lived in, in the same block that I live in. She's a 20-year-old um, girl. She's studying law at UCT. And she was telling me of all the stuff that was happening. And she says, well, Ineke, you know, she says, I'm a believer, so I know that, that God is with me and that I'm not alone. But she said UCT had been shut down last week. A lot more girls had come forward and said they had been raped by boys in the university, apparently. So there's now an investigation happening. But she said there's a panic among the students, like, what, am I gonna, what if I'm going to be next? And she said, they don't have that same foundation that I have in Jesus Christ. She is that voice of hope to the people around her. She said, I tell them about Jesus. And she says, I try to give them hope. And so I think God is asking the same thing of us in a time like this. Not just to make sure that our refuge is in Jesus and our eyes are on Jesus, but to be that voice of hope to others to be that voice of faith, to be able to say, yes, sickness may come to me, but God. Yes, I may lose a loved one, but God. Yes, I may lose my job, but God. Yes, there's violence around me, but God. Yes, life may not be easy, but God. See, God is still the same. He hasn't moved. He hasn't left the scene. He hasn't left the building. He's still on his throne. He's still in control of it all. Do you know about him? Shall I tell you about him? I'm going to read you something that I love. It's by S.M. Lockridge. He was a pastor. The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews that is a racial king. He is the king of Israel that is a national king. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder if you know him. David said, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. See, my king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. 
No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong, he's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's imperially powerful, he's impartially merciful, do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son, he's the savior of sinners, and he's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unique, he's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he has the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism and the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides, he heals the sick, he cleanses the lepers, he forgives the sinners and discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young and he serves the unfortunate. He regards the age and he rewards the diligent. I wonder if you know him. Well, my king, you see, is the king. He's the key to knowledge, he's the wellspring of wisdom, he's the doorway of deliverance, he's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness and the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? While his office is manifold, his promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting and his love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but you know he's indescribable. He is because he's God. He's incomprehensible and he's invincible. He's irresistible. Because you see, you can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. And I hope that's your king as well. Because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Did I say forever? And when you get through with all the forevers, then it's amen. Good God Almighty, amen. May you be the voice of the world and testify to that king. Amen.